0: Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Vineyard Community Church as we are going to continue on in a series we're doing called Doing. And uh, actually, the title of this one is Doing Redo, and it's not that we're starting all over, but because we've taken a few weeks off, This series um, for Christmas, and we've been talking about the reason for Christmas and the meaning of Christmas and all the messages have been geared towards that. We sort of moved away from our series on discipleship, and I want to get back to it, but I'm trying to get everybody at the same place again. So we're going to have a quick review time uh, today, and then we'll pick back up into it um, the following week. This is uh, uh, New Year's weekend. And so I've been thinking about that before we get started. I, I read this. I don't know what you think, but this, this girl named Jennifer was taking an afternoon nap on New Year's Eve in preparation for the night's celebration. And after she woke up, she phoned her boyfriend, Max, and, and she said, look, I just had a dream that you gave me a diamond ring for a New Year's present. What do you think it all means? And Max said, aha, you'll know tonight. And so at midnight, as the New Year was chiming, Max approached Jennifer and handed her a small package. And delighted and excited, she opened it quickly. And there in her hand rested a book entitled, The Meaning of Dreams. I didn't say it was good. It's just what I had. (laughs) Uh, Maybe you'll think it's funnier later. I don't know. It's all I had. Um. This weekend a lot of people make resolutions. And uh I read somewhere that New Year's resolutions are a to do list for the first three days in January. <laughs> it's about right. But I, I was researching and um I looked the top ten resolutions. I went online, actually you can go and Google it and check it out. These are the top ten New Year's resolutions. More time with family, more exercise, lose weight, quit smoking, get out of debt learn a new skill or start a hobby, volunteer in the community, get organized, stick to a budget, and give up drinking. Those are the top ten resolutions. So, there they are. I don't know how many you you had on the list, but I I have some advice for a changed life, and I'm, I'm not joking about this. Better than a resolution, this is it, I think. Every day, be thankful for five things. Encourage two people. And live by trying to do the next right thing. And it'll impact your life greatly, better than trying to pick off any of those. You'll, you'll get them and, and more by doing those three simple things. So that's my, uh, my unsolicited advice to you today. Do with it as you will. Okay, so uh, today, like I said, we're going to call this um, the doing redo. Um, this series is about what disciples do. Our scripture reading for today is from John 13, verses 13 through 17. And Jesus said this, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now in these verses, Jesus is kind of summarizing with his guys at the very end of his ministry at the Last Supper, what his life and ministry is all about. And he's encouraging them to go and do these things. And he says to them, listen, if you guys will live like this, you're going to find that that's what life is really all about. You'll be blessed. And I think that sounds good. I think all of us want to have lives that are blessed, lives that matter, lives that count, lives that mean something, lives with purpose. And so he, he, um, he's laying this out for them that it's about going and doing the things that he has taught them and demonstrated to them in this life. And uh, we've started to talk about that and we're looking at that, that, that in order to really experience and live life, we need to do the things that Jesus has called us to, because that's where we find life. And so this series is about what disciples do. And we're using as the foundation for this series the book of Matthew. And and in the first weeks, we've kind of already moved through the first seven chapters or so. The first part of the seventh chapter is where we ended up. But I want to go back and just hit on the points so that when we launch into it again next uh, time that we get together, we're, we're hopefully all moving at the same speed and from the same point of view. A disciple, then, is simply someone who has decided to align themselves with another person in order to become capable of doing what that person does and live their lives like that person lived their life. So how does that apply to us as a disciple of Jesus? We have to look at what Jesus did. And what Jesus did, we talked about this, he lived naturally, supernaturally. He demonstrated by his life what the kingdom of God looks like. He applied the kingdom of God in encounters that he had with people for their good, and he made it possible for them to enter the kingdom as well. And as his disciples were to go and do what he did in the process. And so we said as we started, and we're going to say it again, and this is really good advice, that the the, the best way, I believe, to start doing this, first point, is by trying in your lives to do the next right thing. That this is one of the most powerful tools that we have at our disposal. And, and I think it seems overly simple to some, but um, it'll change your life. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm constantly amazed in my own life that the struggles that I face have come and, and bother me still from, from situations that could be years ago now where I didn't do the right thing. Where I, I took a shortcut where I did something, you know, just wasn't quite right, and and it's, it still impacts my life. And so I want to do the next right thing. I don't want to take shortcuts. I don't want to do that ever. I just want to do what we're supposed to do. I want to do the right thing. I don't want my opinion to get in there about what I think it should be. I want to just do the right thing, because I found out that's the best way to live. It's it's very freeing to do those things, to, to try. To do the next right thing. And I gave you a little checklist when we started. And I said that, you know, if you will run through this little checklist when you're about to make a decision, it'll be helpful. You know, is it respectful? It's something that you ask yourself is what you're about to do. Is it respectful of other people? Is it loving? Is it a loving thing to do? Um, is it godly? Is it something that God would be pleased with? And then, you know, the last one I throw and everybody laughs at is, is, is it legal? And uh, if it's not legal, don't do it. Again, regardless of your opinion, is it, these are the questions, is it respectful, is it loving, is it, is it, is it godly, and is it legal? And, you know, I just want to do the right thing. And it's, uh, I saw this, uh, this thing on TV the other day, and I was, I was amazed, I was thinking about doing this right thing. It's about this couple who bought this house, and they bought this house, Um, it was, it belonged to this um, elderly woman who had passed away, and her son had inherited it. And he just wanted to sell it, so he sold it. Um, and he sold it as was, as is, whatever, you know, just sold it. And this couple bought it. Just kind of an average, regular couple bought it. Anyway, they were in there. he, The, the, the guy who bought it looked under the mattress and found $25,000 in cash. And he contacted the son, drove down there and gave it to him. He said, this is yours, not mine. Now... And they were like, well, that's just the right thing. And it, it is the right thing. <laughs> but in this world, I wonder how many people, I mean, scot-free, 25 grand, and they could use the money. They said when they first found it, they sat around all night and talked about how they could fix up the house and, and everything. And then at some point in the night, they were like, uh-uh, it's not ours. we got to try and return this money. And they went and did the right thing. And I'm, I'm like, you know, it's so important that that happens. And what a, what a neat thing that that was. They did the right thing. But, you know, today's world... I, I don't know how many people would have done that and uh, knowing that it was the right thing and just, you know, choosing to do the right thing is a huge and significant part of life. But it feels better when you do it. And so um, and, and, you know, here's the deal. And we've talked about this, but a very important part of that whole thing. You try to do the next right thing. Sometimes you won't. Um, so you just won't. You've, you'll mess up. You'll fall short. You'll sin. We do that. Um, But what you need to know in this whole process is that when you do, you just need to turn around and go running back to Jesus. And you say, I'm so sorry, I messed up. Will you forgive me? And he does. And then he gives you another chance and another new start. And you live that way. And the hope is that you you, you do better all the time. I tell you honestly, every day I just want to try and do a little better and doing the next right thing. And I I still catch myself. Maybe, you know... Maybe you don't do it anymore, but sometimes I'm really selfish, and sometimes I'm real sarcastic, and sometimes I'm really short, you know, and in uh, my responses, and I, I, I don't want to be that way, and and um, yeah, and there's I could get a lot worse, but it's too much information, um, you know what I mean? So so you know I, I just every day though I keep, I keep well I just want to do better, Lord, and and He keeps helping me. Um, we also need to know. Second point there in your notes is that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. As as his disciples, we need to know him as Lord and Savior. We spent a lot of time over Christmas talking about him as our Savior and how desperately we needed a Savior because we've all sinned and how um, he's made a way back for us to get back to God in relationship with God. But but uh, And that's the great part. I've always said that's the best deal in the universe. I don't know why anybody would uh, have trouble with that one. I mean, it's like sin's forgiven, new start, life eternal with God. I mean, it's... I, it's a no brainer to me, but uh, uh, along with that, and it's still good news, is that he's the Lord as well, and that what we're supposed to be doing is remembering that as we do the next right thing. We're, we're also to be saying, God, this you know, life is really all about doing what you want in life, and and sort of reporting in for duty, and getting out of the it's all about me routine, and saying, God, how can I what, what can I do for you today, and and making sure that we're doing that, and and so um, I, I try and. You know, I like that idea of every day we're, as disciples, we're to report for duty. And that we're to remember that he's not just our Savior, he's the Lord. And that, that he wants us to live life for him. And that this process, um, what we have to develop is the heart of a disciple. That to to follow after Jesus and to do the things that he did and to care about people and all those things, um, our hearts need to be changed and we need to develop the heart of a disciple. And I shared with you a couple of parables. They're short parables in Matthew 13:44 and 46. And they said this, and I'll do it again. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. The, the heart of a disciple is like that. It realizes that real life, that, that the, 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 the treasure in the field, the pearl of great price, is is found in the kingdom of God with Jesus. And and will do whatever it takes to to make that a priority, to make that the most important thing in life. And so that, that this is what a disciple's heart looks like, and that's what needs to be developed in us. We went on and shared, as we moved into Matthew 4, that that starts... That that the disciple's heart process starts with repentance. Fourth point is that we all need to repent. Matthew four seventeen. From that time on, Jesus began to repeat to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Um, what does it mean to repent? True biblical repentance. That's not part of the scripture now. We'll have to fix that. True biblical repentance is a change of mind and purpose. On life. See, to, to have disciples' hearts, this is the process we have to engage in. Uh, our minds need to be changed. Our purpose in life needs to be changed, and, and the reality of life has to be changed for us. Now, the change of mind takes place as we decide that we're going to be more concerned about the eternal than the temporary. And that's the big shift in a change of our mind, because most of us spend our lives really fixed. On the temporary things in life instead of the eternal things we, we spend our time this is our, our struggles, our worries, our concerns. our energies are all pumped into the temporary things. but as disciples, we need to be more concerned about eternal things. I, I said that um, you know we, we have to as a disciple, our desire needs to be that that we are really in the process of being made whole and not just settling for everything seeming to be okay in the temporary, that there's a bigger work, and that disciples' hearts will always choose the, the bigger process, the eternal process, knowing that that's where life is really found. And and we can only do that as we understand that we're created for a purpose. Um, it doesn't all revolve around us. This is part of the change, that there's a purpose. God created us for His purposes. and And in order to... To get a hold of that, there's some issues we we need to resolve. And one of those things I talked about was a longing for heaven. That's point number A under four. A longing for heaven. I said that I don't think that a lot of people have connected with what a longing for heaven looks or feels like. But deep within each one of us uh, is a longing for heaven. We know deep down that there's something better than what we're experiencing. This is not as good as it gets. And no matter how hard we try to make everything work, it just never does. There's still that empty place deep inside of us. Um, we'll try and fill that emptiness with all sorts of things. Um, sometimes we try and do things that like are seemingly okay to fill it up. We get very busy, you know, always on the go, pushing, pushing, um, never stopping long enough to, to ever feel that emptiness. Or sometimes we try and fill it with things... And situations that that are definitely not okay—drugs, alcohol, immorality—you name it—we we start trying to fill that emptiness there. Uh, sometimes people get stuck in trying to sort of recreate. Um, memories out of our past that seem to represent happier times. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm convinced that's why nostalgic TV shows are so popular, that there's something in there that connects us to what now, from this point of view, looks like a much happier time, although it probably was, wasn't. was But it seems better. I Love Lucy comes on and everything seems okay all of a sudden, you know, for whatever reason. Uh, or, you know, something out of the 50s will pop up. I mean, sometimes I see a show that was on before I was born and it makes me go, oh, isn't that nice? Wouldn't it have been nice that, you know, everybody was around their houses in a shirt shirt and tie, (laughs) even the little kids? Of course, I don't think that would be nice at all, but it looked nice, didn't it? Um, Or even you watch, you know, old shows, like talk shows and everything, and you look in the audience and everybody's in a suit and tie and everything. It was different, and you you, you connect it maybe with something, but um, it wasn't. Any happier It's just this thing in us that's longing for something that we're not experiencing. I I say it's the driving force all the time between behind always trying to have Martha Stewart Thanksgiving and Christmases. Always trying to get back to something that's there and never quite achieving it. And that uh, it's frustrating if you don't let that go and just kind of go with whatever the holiday presents um, that that you're in at the moment. Because this longing for heaven Cannot be satisfied this side of heaven it's it's supposed to be there to remind us that this is not our home. Um, we get taste of eternity now, but we don't get the whole banquet now. and And so rather than being consumed with trying to satisfy that longing now, which is very temporary and selfish, um, what we need to do is we need to mourn the brokenness that's point B. We have to we have to mourn the brokenness. Um, the reality that we have to face and embrace is that we live in a fallen world on a broken planet, and everything is broken here, including us. And see, if we're, if we're focused on living for ourselves, then we take every reminder of this brokenness very personally. It's like an attack on our plans of, of trying to make everything work, and we start getting the poor me's. Why does this happen to me? Um, we get mad at God, or we try and blame God, or we think we're being punished for something. But, but the reality is this isn't heaven. And everything is broken. Um, sin is the cause of the brokenness. And if you, if you really need something to focus on and focus your anger on, get mad at the evil one who deceived us back in the garden into, deceiving, into thinking that we could be like God. And God is kicked out of paradise and now um, continues to try and deceive us to blame God for the brokenness and that it pushes us back in the cycle of continuing to sin by trying to be like God and fixing everything in our own strength. Or to fill the emptiness that we're experiencing with other empty things. And and the reality is that every broken thing, every failure, every tragedy, should just be a reminder that this temporary life will never be perfect. But in his mercy and grace, he's made a way for us to get back in the relationship that we had before the fall. And so, since this is not as good as it gets, and it will never be, we don't need it to make our life's purpose and work to try and fix it and make it work. Um, we were created for a different purpose, a greater purpose, which is to follow him. That's the C, come and follow me. And so... We get a change of mind, we decide that we, we want to be healed and not settle for just feeling better. We have a change of purpose as we go from realizing that our longing for heaven can't be satisfied here. Brokenness is just a reminder that this isn't as good as it gets. And that we're created for a greater purpose which leads us to a changed life. And that's that understanding that life is found in being a disciple. And so we change from um, a perspective of temporary to the eternal, from being fisher men to fishers of men is what happened to those guys, from selfish to selfless, from self-centered to other-centered, from being consumed with, with having to being all about being. And this is what repentance looks like in developing the heart of a disciple. So we moved in from there about what disciples do. Point number five. We're making good time now. Um, disciples develop a private relationship with God, and we we looked into Matthew six as we talked about this, and I and I said that a private relationship with God um, entails um, giving, being a giver of your time, talents, energy, life, not just your your finances. And it's about praying uh, with Him directly and intimately as a regular part of your life, not just corporately. It's about being a person of forgiveness, one who, who extends forgiveness uh, and one who receives forgiveness and who, you know, who, uh, regularly you, you should have as a regular part of your life that forgiveness thing. I, I do it every day. I, I sit there and literally think, God, OK, these are the things I need to be forgiven for today. And then I stop and think, is there anybody I need to forgive? And, and you know, I, I I sit there and wait for anybody to pop into my mind, or that because I don't want to feel bad about anybody. You know what I mean? I don't want to. And if there's anybody there, I, I if it pops up, I I turn them loose. I don't want to. Don't want it. And then we talked about fasting, and and uh, how that doesn't get talked about much anymore. But it it needs something. It's something that we need to work into our lives where we can, and what that looks like, and that it's it's not. Um, uh, it's, it's more about spending time with God and being of, of freed from the routines and the busyness of trying to eat. Uh, another thing that the disciples do is they get an eternal perspective. Uh, perspective. I touched on that, about the temporary and eternal. And, uh, but we continued on in Matthew 6, and Jesus starts talking about worry. And he says, don't worry about anything. And we think, well, that's easy to say. Um, but I said that, that worry is a sign that our focus is on the temporary. So when we're fearful and worried, it means that we haven't made the perspective change that we need to. And that as that moves to um, uh, a focus on the eternal, what we begin to experience more of is faith and peace. And that's what we should be experiencing at some level as disciples. Not that we'll never deal with fear and worry because we will, but it's how long it lasts. And And really, when you're stuck there, you need to know, okay, I need to change my perspective. Because God is still God, and he's going to be God, and no matter what's going on, he's God. And we, we work ourselves into just getting our focus changed back on the eternal. What's God going to do in this situation? And he always does something. So we look to him there. Matthew six thirty three: seek first his kingdom. And his righteousness or right way of living. And all these things will be given to you as well. So no matter what we're trying, you know, is trying to make us fearful or worried, we make that shift. We get our focus on the kingdom. God, what can I do? How do you want me to live? I trust in you. And we get to experience the peace and the faith of God. And then the last thing that we talked about was the disciples love instead of judge. They love instead of judge. And judgmentalism and self-righteousness cause us to not care about people which we said was the hallmark of the Pharisees, the people that Jesus was dealing with at the time, this, the established religion, had lost the ability to love well. And they totally lost touch with the love of God. And so, um, to make sure that that doesn't happen to us, because it's a tendency of religious communities to become judgmental. It is. It always has been, will continue to be. Um, we have to remember all the time, A, that we're all broken. I touched on that already earlier, but it's a big part of a disciple is knowing that you're a mess. And that that uh, you've got issues, all right. We all do, and we have to remember that none of us has arrived yet. None of us is perfected. None of us has all this worked out. We just don't. Um, and then I said the other thing that we talk about, and I said this is a Steveism. Point B is the sin scale. And and I said that what that is is what we tend to put into place and religious communities always have is a sin scale where, where there's now this new meter for sin that they deem some sin is very, very bad and some sin is not that big a deal. And that's not biblical. Sin is sin. It all misses the mark. It's all of what we're not supposed to be doing. And yet um, we, we get quickly judgmental if we feel like our sins are little and other people's sins are big. And, and so we label it that way. And it's just not a biblical thing. But it's how we get self-righteous. And it's how we sort of uh, make a way for, for being very judgmental and hurtful in, in our life. And that's not how we're to treat people. Matthew seven twelve says, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. And, and that this was significant. This is where we ended up with, this is a huge thing. It's uh whenever Jesus sums something up, you need to take note of it, and and uh, and he said this is it. Okay, this is a big step now. This is what you do in everything, and he said in everything, which is another big word, do to others what you would have treat other people the way that you want to be treated. Doesn't say see, and, and what we do culturally. That's the golden rule. What we've replaced that with in our culture is what I call the law of reciprocity, where instead of treating others the way we want to be treated, we treat others the way they treat us. And while there's some cultural importance to that, um, we're called to a higher standard. Uh, As as disciples, that's not our standard. We're not to treat others the way they treat us. We're to treat people the way we want to be treated. And we have to remember that in life. And yet it's significant um, because uh, it, it will allow us... To get past the boundaries that people put up, the inappropriate ones, the um, the masks, let's put it that way, where they're trying to keep people out, but they really need someone that um, can, can break through from time to time and see past the sort of facade they're putting up that they're just hurt and lonely and a mess themselves. And so we, we have to be a people that... Always treats people the way we want to be treated. No, and, and the other thing to do that, last point, is we always have to see the beauty of people's potential. If this is a great way to start the year to um, and I'll keep putting it in front of you, I did it a lot last year that's how you've got to see people, by the beauty of this how God saw you, how He continues to see you, and how we need to see others. And if we don't see people that way, we'll label them and we'll treat them badly, because we'll judge them um, by our sin scale. And we'll write them off. And without even maybe realizing it consciously, we'll treat them like they don't really matter. And you can't. Once you do that, you've lost the ability to connect with them and to love them. Well, Jesus didn't do that. And that's not how he taught his disciples. That was the whole thing we started with when he sat down and washed their feet. He was saying, look, guys, you've got to get this at a much higher level and connect with this. It's not about who's the greatest. It's about who's going to love people well and develop that within them. So that's what disciples do. And uh, that's a that's a pretty that's a lot of information in the quick review. But um, if you need to go over it in depth, you can go back and watch the first six messages from doing five messages, six, five. (laughs) I've done five so far. And uh, check them all out on the Internet. And see what's happening. And uh, you can get reconnected there. But that's what we're going to do tonight. That's that's enough of that. And uh, thanks for watching. If you're watching on television or video, thank you for being a part. If there's anything we can do, call us, write us, email us. We'll see how we can help. And we'll certainly pray for you. Um, And we're going to close here with prayer tonight as a group for us.